0: Welcome to the Kintsugi Heroes podcast, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people going through different challenges and how they overcome them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help keep you safe. If you love this conversation, We'd love you to like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero story. In this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with Joanne Brooks. Joanne has had a very interesting journey. Her challenges have spanned career and personal, and they're interwoven, starting with leaving school at 18 and being told by her father that she can't go to university, and then having to break out of her comfort zone to be able to get a job, right through to running a multi-million dollar company many years later, and then losing it all. She lost her husband in tragic circumstances, becoming a single mum. She is the epitome of resilience, despite a really tough life in a lot of respects. And yet she may not see it as tough, but a lot of tough things have happened to her. We can all relate to these kind of challenges, the everyday challenges of loss, loss of human life, loss of business, and a loss of your goals, your dreams, and having to recreate those. She's done all of that. And she peels it all back in this story, and it's, it's great. I'm really grateful to Joanne for her authenticity, her vulnerability, and being able to share all of this with me. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this one with Joanne Brooks. All right, so here we are. It is another episode of Kintsugi Heroes, and I am here with Joanne Brooks. Welcome, Joanne.
1: Ah, oh, thanks. Yes, delighted to be here.
0: Yes. Oh, thank you. It's so good to have you. Um, I was so uh, so happy because you're the first female we've got, uh, first female hero. So congratulations to you. Exciting, is that? Okay. <laughs> it is. Uh, I, of course, we've known each other for a little while, and and I do know a bit of your story. But uh, you know, I'm I know that you've got some, you've got lots of wisdom always, and so I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to share with us in in your story today so can to get us started can you take us back to back before I guess the the first challenging event happened like paint a picture for us what was going on for you in life where were you how old were you you know just paint a little bit picture for us and then take us in.
1: No trouble at all. Um, I was born in the six, early 60s in Wollongong. I was mum and dad. Mum stayed at home. She she always wanted to continue nursing, um, but when she got married, things stopped. So, and, and that was the way our, our family unit worked to the point that in 1974, my dad came home and said, so I've sold the car, sold the house, the dogs have been sold. We're moving to the Gold Coast uh, without consultation. And that was, the gen- that was the normal rhythm of our family Um uh, which I'm sure uh, would have been very difficult for my my mum, no concept of it for myself as a young child. And we moved to Wollong, uh, from Wollongong to the Gold Coast a week before the 1974 floods. Very exciting time for an 11-year-old to be exposed to those floods, which did go through the entire place that we were living in. Had just arrived with boxes, very exciting. Very uh, <laughs> so, super weird. Again, very challenging for my mum, I'm sure. And then my dad's first uh, points. Um, business that he decided to to start was a lawn mowing business which was really interesting because the reason he moved to the Gold Coast was that he had very bad asthma and was allergic to grass super interesting concept (laughs) he bought a lawn mowing business my mum was delighted she was an avid gardener uh, and years later he made the decision we'd sell it she'd sell the house and we bought he bought a motel again without um, notice to my mum and just said this is what we're doing so I grew up in my teenage years. In one room with my um older brother. My dad built a divider between us in this one room. So from um age 12 to 21, we lived in that one one little room, two teenagers, um, which was super interesting. Couldn't have friends, couldn't do anything because it was all about the customer. And in those days, even my hairdryer would interrupt the TV in all the rooms. So it was interesting. Um Childhood. I adored my dad, and he always was a bit of a, a mentor to me. And there's lots of things that he taught me. But it was this dynamic of he always made the decision; mum didn't have any any um, say in the matter. To the point that when I finished high school as an 18 year old, I was a little bit older in those um, to finish grade 12. And I always wanted to go to university, and that was not an option for me. I was not allowed to go. Uh, my brother went; he was allowed to go, but uh, Joanne was not allowed to. And the only universities were in Brisbane. So what he said to me, so a little bit more context, I was an incredibly shy girl. So if I, I couldn't be found, you would find me in the cupboard playing with my dolls as a very young child. So I was super, super quiet, very shy. I couldn't, you know, couldn't say boo to anybody. And my dad said to me, so when you finish grade 12, you'll go and sit the banking exam. So I did that. You went and did that on a Saturday. So I did all that. And that was in 1980. And then I came home going, Yay! Yeah, right. I'll just wait for that. And he said, no, no, you will ring every branch manager every day until you get a job. And two weeks later, I got a job, which was super interesting because it was terrifying. Uh, I had no sense of what I was selling, just that, can I have the job yet? And the reason I got the job, the branch manager said to me was that you rang. You kept ringing and you were persistent and you you didn't become top of the mark in the, in the grades. And so, you know, I joined that bank and I ended up marrying the first person that I actually ended up going out with as a 21-year-old. So married very young. Uh, but by that point, I'd already had some investment with my dad in owning property. So, you know, he he was gi- giving me some good lessons on how to manage money well. And so, um, you know, we bought our first, first house at, at the age of 21. And then at the age of 25, we decided, you know what, we're just going to sell the lot. And we went overseas for 12 months and we just travelled the world and ended up running and managing a pub in Knightsbridge who's we you and your husband My first husband yep. and I so we, um, we, we we actually you know do you know how to pour a beer? Well yeah in Australia we just said yes we winged it and we ended up managing this pub for a number of months um which which gave us a great base to go and travel around um, around the country of England and um in though in at that time I remember we were uh, we managed to get hundred pounds a week each as a, as our income. And we negotiated an extra half day off, so we could we had one and a half days every week to go and watch. Uh, but it was interesting because we were right behind Harrods, and we um, we managed the pub, and we got got rid of sounds terrible. We got rid of the POMI workers and brought in the Aussie and the New Zealanders. Had a great time. Some great lessons in that as well of managing. Never have never done that before, and we just winged it, and uh, came back came home with um, some great experiences, and then started again as a married couple, went and lived with our parents again, which was interesting, (laughs) as you do. One of the things I guess I learned in that that very first part of the story about ringing the bank and uh, every day until I got a job, that was a lesson that I didn't quite realize what it was, but it was a lesson to know that if I wanted something, I had to go for it. It was up to nobody else. And so unconsciously, uh, I managed to find a way to get promoted through the banking system. Again, oh God, we got, I got promoted out of the Gold Coast office into head office in Brisbane. And they said, do you have computer experience? Well, of course. Never even looked at one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just worked, you know, found my way around it. Still this very shy person, all those sort of things. But, you know, the one thing that I, I was rather good at in my career was if I wanted something, I knew I had to put my hand up and ask for it. Stayed in the banking system for about 17 years and ended up working for one of the largest finance broker companies in Australia uh, because I was teaching people how to write commercial and plant equipment lending, which was a very unusual thing for a female to do. It was um, um, normal for me to walk in a room with a bunch of blue suits and Joanne would be there as the only female and i can't tell you how many times when i'd be teaching somebody one of the one of the brokers would say to me well what do you know girlie the words that they would use which is very condescending but uh, it was very easy for me to go well actually here are some real applications and see if you can do that uh so you know had had all the bits that i needed to provide my credibility and it was super interesting that i'm sharing now that i was up in front teaching people when i spent my childhood in a cupboard but work was my safe place work was definitely my safe place because the marriage wasn't great And it was a very difficult, difficult marriage. And um, so that was my place that I could shine. And I knew that I could uh, be the Joanne that I needed to be. Like, yeah, young person, didn't have a lot of confidence. First boyfriend, married. That that was just the way you did it. And, of course, the expectation was that Joanne would go into banking and she would marry and have children, all those sort of things. But then I guess I mm, realised there was obviously a little bit of a rebel sitting in behind, unconsciously in my brain, not realising that uh, Joanne actually wants something different.
0: Mm. So at this point I'm, I'm hearing this amazing kind of I- I- initial journey into the workforce and you developing a sense of who you are and some amazing skills coming up against men in, in, in a, at a time when, you know, there were very specific gender roles. Uh, you were married at a young age. Mm. At what point
1: did, I guess, stuff happen for you? Well, it, uh, it happened in, um, 2001, September 2001. I was working at the business that I was talking about, the finance broker. And, uh, it was a tough day. There was a, I got told that there was a couple of policemen waiting for me at reception and the receptions looked pretty upset. And I'm thinking, oh, not really knowing what was on. They took me into a room and they said, um, are you the wife of my husband's name? And I said, yes. And he said, uh, well, he's been killed in an accident and, I'm told that uh, I made quite a bit of noise because the next question they asked was, where's your daughter? Uh, and so for context there, my husband had been unwell. He um, had been diagnosed with pneumonia. I had taken my daughter to daycare. And what they didn't know was because they'd seen a child care child seat in the back of the car and the car had actually burst into flames, uh, they weren't sure that she was in there. That Well, that was... That was hard enough as it was, but for, um, you know, just to add to the level of um, distress and um, trauma that this caused was that within um, 72 hours, I found out that he had been HIV positive. I needed to be tested. My daughter needed to be tested. We were tested as um, uh, negative, uh, but that was four days of absolute trauma, not realizing that this was the case. Family all around me. And then to be told by family members that I can't tell anybody because it would be uh, really bad for the public to know that my husband had been HIV positive. So that, that was a secret that I kept for a very long time and it was a very difficult secret because I actually kept it for my parents. Yeah. To this day, my pa- father passed away. and He still doesn't know. My mum does now. But that was one of the hardest secrets and caused a lot of trauma for me uh, and caused a lot of trauma for Nicole because my daughter because having heard her data pass, and then within 24 hours, she's been sat on as a four-year-old to get a blood test done. And she is beside herself. And to this day, as a 25, 26 year old, needles cause her a lot of trauma. Goodness. Mm. Yeah. So that that was interesting because then there was conversations with people around me saying, Joanne, you actually look relieved. And when they said that to me, I went, you know what? I am. I'm very much relieved because this was not a good place for myself and Nicole to hang around, and it was our release. Yes, Mm. there was lots of counselling and all those sort of things to help us through the trauma of those first few weeks. And, you know, I went back to work within about three weeks. Uh, I needed to get back to a routine and so did, you know, Nicole was four. It was a very difficult time for her, but it, it was what, saved us and Nicole was what saved me to be to get through what I need to do because as a parent you want to protect your child Mm. and make sure that they're not um not permanently impacted by Mm. what's going on in the family Um, Mm. and I actually stood my ground there was a lot of pressure for me to move back to the Gold Coast where all the family was and Joanne was finally finding her voice and I said no I will stay in Brisbane and I will do what I need to do for my daughter and so I started sold a house and decided to build a house.
0: Um,
1: So that's what we did. Does
0: um, your daughter have any memories um, of that time or is it a little bit too young for her?
1: She has limited memories of her dad. She definitely has memories of the day. Mm. Um, I actually had to get my girlfriend to go and pick up Nicole and then I had to let her know. We we often speak about this. So this is something I, I didn't share with her he knew She knew he'd passed away through a car accident, um, but I didn't share her the backstory to it. Um, stupidly, I let her know when she was in the middle of grade 12 exams as a 16-year-old. She asked, so I told her. And I said, this is going to be a tough one, kiddo. Um, and, yep, we needed to go and get some further counselling. But, uh, no, she, she, you know, I've since remarried and she has known her stepdad and calls him dad far longer than she's known her real dad. She is fully aware of. She now because I um, went through this with her when she was a sixteen-year-old <laughs> during a grade twelve exams. So it's really poor timing, but anyway, uh, she's a, she's a very resilient young woman, thankfully, and and she survived that. But but that just helps her to remember it. And she has mm-hmm. some lovely fronts. She, you know, her dad was a wonderful dad to her, and I I know she he would take her out every afternoon after school and take her for a a coffee and a go to the cafe, it was before cafes were all in and and, and he adored her, absolutely mm. adored her. There was no doubt about that. So she does, she does remember that. And every now and then, you know, she has a bit of a cry and we, you know, we talk about it. But um she's come out of it um, rather well,
0: thankfully. And has that been one of your main focuses as as her mum?
1: It was the reason I started my first business and quit my job. Mm. Uh, because Straight after straight after he passed us I said, I went back to work. It's interesting what people do when death is around them. People don't know what to say. That, you know, and, and we don't actually need them to say anything. We just need to know that um, you can talk to them. And my boss, who was my mentor, he was my rock on that day. He just took over everything. He came and did amazing things. But bless his heart, we're in an office and I had my own office. I was amongst everybody. But when I went back to work, he picked up my office and put it at the very back with the door on it and said, you just stay down there, Joanne. We won't bother you. And I went, it's actually the worst thing you could have done because I then had too much time in my, in my head. Yeah. Um, as I said, bless his heart. He, he did it with the best intentions. And he's still a good friend today. He literally works five minutes from where I live. So I, I still see him. as an amazing man. A- and I have a great deal of respect for him because he was the business mentor that I needed um, when I first started my business. And it was, um, he sold the business um, the new owner didn't connect with me. I, I just didn't feel comfortable with it. It wasn't working for me. And so Joanne decided she would go and start a business. Thankfully, I did do the right things and set up my finance first to make sure I was covered for a period of time. But, you know, egotistically, I just, I thought, well, I, I've been in this in, in the finance industry for 20 years. I'll go and start a business. I'll continue doing what I did in my job and they'll just come, won't they? Yeah, no. So, was the decision
0: to start the business one that you had
1: after the passing of your husband? Yeah, it was. It was uh, the the biggest driver was because she started school that within six months of him passing. and so uh, because I was a single mum, there was daycare in the morning, daycare in the afternoon. and so she was having long days. Um, so I decided that, a couple of years in, I went. Yeah, no, I just can't keep doing this. She said, she said, an entire schooling and daycare life of being having longer days than I had. Mm. And I went, you know what? How about we go go do this business thing? I'll have a lot more flexibility. She won't need to do daycare. You know, be, the money will be coming in, and, and it'll all just work beautifully and swimmingly well. Well, we all know that. You know, for people who've been in business for a little while, you, you do aspire those things one day. But when you start a business, and you think that people are just going to come knocking on your door and they don't. And then you just go, Oh, geez. Uh, and, and it was my mentor who said to me, and he put the, you know, the head across the hand across the back of my head and said, Joanne, come on. You know, better than this. This is not how you do it. I went, Yeah, you're right. Actually. So all the things that I was telling my clients, um, you know, the business owners coming to me to get the commercial finance business plan, you know, what are you doing? How are you getting sales? How's this happening? And I wasn't doing any of that you know, it's just this ego just got in the way. And, uh, you know, another lesson that I learned very quickly was you need to leave that ego at the door. You know, be confident, but uh, leave the ego at the door. And, uh, you know, you've got to go and find your clients and talk to them. So thank goodness, within about six months, I got that knock across the back of my head to go, actually, you've got to do something different in this business. And I was doing education, and I was very fortunate to get an opportunity come my way. I'd written some um, qualifications for some RTOs, training organisations, and they came to me and said, so we've had great success in the sale of these um, certificates and qualifications. We've decided to franchise, do you know somebody in Queensland that might want to take it and we'll give them 200 students? And I went, well, I don't know, I don't know somebody, but I'll do it because it complements what I'm doing. So, yeah, I put my hand up. Um, so that started that journey of getting into um, all the all the fun stuff that comes with that. So. And super interesting, just as a byline, that man is who I am now in business with. Twenty odd years later, full circle.
0: Did you spend a lot of time grieving? Like, was that I, grief I cycle
1: didn't at first? Yeah, okay. because because I was just focused on Nicole and making yeah. sure she had the best experience that she possibly could, and that I was the best person I could be for her. Um, but there, there was one person who really just um, switched it all and saved both of us massively, well, that is my current husband. So I met him one year, nearly to the day, anniversary of my first husband's death, not looking, none of that sort of stuff. Uh, and I, we often joke about this in the family now. Nicole was five, I outside playing with the dog. This man was doing some landscaping next door, dug some ditches and Nicole fell in one. So he picked her up, dusted her off, had a bit of a chat. Nicole came in, I said, are you okay? Who's that man? That's Paul. Yeah, I'm married to him. <laughs> nearly nearly yeah, 17 years later it's all her fault. That, is, uh, that is her fault how beautiful it is it's a yeah and it was very smart first date was with both of us to the beach mm. very smart man mm. lovely but, but he is my soulmate he he adores nicole mm. and uh, he has been supportive of all the baggage that i brought and helped me work through that but then all the subsequent things that have happened from there yeah wow that's beautiful. That's what you need as a business. You need somebody who can support. Yeah. You. I was going to ask about that.
0: And and I guess I don't know if it's luck or, or you know, life or whatever, it,
1: it, Providence, whatever you want to call it, but he came at the right time for you. He did, yeah. And Nicole. I, mean, I did push back and, I, and then I just went, you know what? The word said to the universe, All right, okay, this is just feels really right. It's good. It's gonna work well. Uh, mm-hmm. It he did cause a split in the family from my my first husband's family, but that's okay. We've since reunited 18 years later, just in the last few months, so that's yeah. the things that you do. Um, but, no, it it was meant to be and he was the rock that I needed um, mm. to help me get through what I needed to get through. Mm. Wow.
0: So it it sounds kind of, I, I guess, idyllic in a way that, you know, you, you were working in your own business, you met Paul, your soulmate, yeah. he became the father to your daughter, and you're still with him today. So. It, do we do we wrap the story up there with a bow or is there is there another little <laughs>
1: I, I'm so, thinking there's something else in here yeah, right? absolutely absolutely so it's more wrapped around the business um, side of my life from there. so as I said I'd started a business uh, I got the opportunity to be part of a franchise helped him grow it. I was at a conference and this uh, the speaker said we're looking to buy Rtos anybody who knows anybody love an introduction and I'll look after you when that happens. Uh, um, about six months later, the franchise sold it to that man. Uh, didn't see a beam. Uh, nothing, nothing, uh, compensation in any way or, you know, referral agreement. It was bought by a public company that exists today. So we'll keep that name quiet. But it, but it was an introduction of a division to their business that didn't complement what their core function was. They were in recruitment is all I will say. So, and they bought, uh, they were bought about eight RTOs and for whatever reason they felt it was a good strategy. Then they suddenly realized actually it's not. So we're just going to close them all. Mm -hmm. And so the agreements that we had in place were such that we had no comeback. So I built a business to about a $2 million turnover by that point. uh, They owed me a bunch of money. Uh, We tried to um, negotiate a payout, something got a very tiny piece and went back to zero. So that company shut us down. So I decided, right, well, I'll just launch my own RTO. I went and I did that. I went and bought one. I created just created the brand didn't put a lot of thought in into it whatsoever just made it up myself didn't didn't have the money to pay anybody to do anything and we don't didn't have the tools that we've got today like you can create something amazing with the tools we've got today and that would have been in 2011 2012 by that point um so you know internet wasn't as robust as it was is today so I did all the right things I went and lodged my trademark application was doing well had bought an RTO had funding we we're managing traineeships Uh, and apprenticeships, et cetera, in the business space. And then in November of that year, 2012, I received a letter from a large global company to say, uh, we notice that you've lodged your application for um, Trademark and uh, it's in breach of ours. So you have 30 days to change your brand. Sorry for the interruption. This is Ian Westmoreland, the founder of Kintsugi Heroes, and thank you for listening to this story from one of our amazing heroes. Our mission is for these stories to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges and to also educate the broader community on how best to provide support. If you would like to help us to continue to produce more hero stories and cover more adversity themes, we would welcome all donations. These can be made via our website, kitsukiheroes.com.au. The donate function is at the bottom of the homepage. We'd also welcome any feedback You can email me direct using ian at kintsugiheroes.com.au. Now, let's get back to the story. Uh, So I had a choice. Do Do I fight them? A large, global motor vehicle company, interestingly. And that motor vehicle company had a division that was internal, that had the same name as me, weirdly, Uh, But nobody knew about it and they provided training to the admin staff. So it was a complete conflict. And now being very passionate about brand and all those sort of things, I would have fought tooth and nail for my brand as well. So I get it. So I went off and I was in a position to go and pay an exorbitant amount of money to rebrand my company. And so that launched on February 2013. uh, And that was an RTO that was called Entamio, E-N-T-A-M-I-O. And it was an acronym and we were never going to have a trademark issue again. Uh, so that was, you know, two two critical pieces, lost the business, trademark, had to rebrand. But with those nearly 20 years in the industry, it enabled me to create an overnight success in that new company. And I do overnight success, And I built that from zero turnover to 30 million in 24 months. Wow. So, you know, a lot of people look at that and go, oh, wow, that's, it was crazy. Absolutely, it was crazy. But as I said, I had all these years of being in the industry, RTO space, all that sort of stuff. Lots of learnings along the way that actually at that point, I then was able to put a lot of systems, you know, automation, high touch, all those sort of things. And we were delivering qualifications that were seven times the price of the standard in the industry at the time. And you know, what what we created was an unlisted public company with all these different companies underneath, which was RTO, accounting, law, HR, IT, marketing, financial planning. Um, I missed any. Can't remember. Uh, but they had all these, and so it was a dep- it was a professional services department store. It was a wonderful concept. So mm. people could come in at any floor, lingerie, shoes, whatever, you know, and they could experience our various services. But the RTO was the biggest piece because it was the education piece, mm. uh, and it had access to government funding uh, that I I had secured by um, partnering with some of my biggest competitors in the country. So I didn't have the funding, but I went and spoke to all my competitors and said, so you have funding. I have this product. It's different to yours. How about I give you a share of it if you give me access to your funding? And I got at one point I had about five competitors that we were working with. So that enabled that that enabled that machine to get uh and you know, in a short space of time, it was like hanging onto your hat. You know, it was fast. I went from uh, that, you know, when I launched the, the new company in Tamio, we had, when at the launch, we, I think I had five staff. and We did it at a restaurant. We did it all properly. And within two years, I had 110 down the eastern seaboard. So it, it grew massively uh, yeah. with all the visions in here as well. And that's when wheels start falling off, when you have this growth that is not under control. Uh, and I often do speaking pieces about, you know, um, these overnight success are an illusion because you normally have this amount of experience behind you. But there are a number of key things that you need to make sure that you are prepared for, and one of them is about pace. Mm-hmm. We weren't prepared for that pace. you know it was massively it was fast. So I was signing agreements, I was buying companies. I was putting in all these layers to improve the customer experience. But there were decisions towards the end of it. There were decisions being made. That I sh- I shouldn't have made, and I and that was a hard thing for me to accept. That whilst legislation changed and partners pulled the pin on me, which was the trigger to close that company, ultimately it was my responsibility. I was the owner, I was the CEO, and that was a very hard pill to swallow. And I think I know a lot of business owners. You know, oh, I've got t- I've got staff, so it's you know they didn't do it right, so they're at fault. No, 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 no. Ultimately, as the owner. You are the one who makes the decision, and you are the one that signs the check, and you are the one that's responsible. As I said, that was a really hard pill to swallow. But what I found towards the end of that two those two years is that I'd lost my connection to purpose and why I did it. Started it with great ideas, very profitable, had an amazing company that we were, uh, you know, and I've shared with you before, Evelyn, um, rewarding them with some amazing expeditions, you could say, I took people to New Zealand, China, Hawaii, Alaska, hired a plane to take us to Sydney for lunch. They were all things because it was always important to celebrate the wins. Uh, And that was done by putting a percentage of my income into a fun account. And I still do that today. So it's a percentage and it just sits there and it just gradually, but you have to spend it each year, you have to spend it. And so by the time we're doing 30 million, that's a rather large pile of money. Um, But by by the end of that, I become somehow just the pace. Some of the people that I was doing business with, I shouldn't have signed contracts to do business with. They were not aligned to values and purpose. And as we all know today, I know very clearly, they don't align. Those relationships are really hard. They're difficult to manage.
0: Can I ask at this point, you mentioned before, you've just said something about closing this business. So you've talked about the massive growth over those was it two years yeah. to get to that thirty million. Uh, you've signed some partnership agreements with people that you're not aligned with. Mm. We, w- what was driving all of this? Was it ego? Was it was it were you fueled by a des- some kind of desire or?
1: Yeah. So at, at this launch of this business, my ideal um, vision was to have a, a university with um, the full RUP right, for um, qualifications, we'd have our own premises and we would be able to do the training on site. We would have cafe, all that, that was the vision. But because the pace was so fast and we needed to act quickly, like I remember um, Christmas Eve 1 in 2014-15, legislation changed to the point that we knew we needed to have everything automated by the time we opened the doors again in January. So I just said to everybody, no Christmas, this is what we're doing. We'll set up the systems. And we were the first RTO in the country to go paperless on the 5th of January that next year because that was the only way to get, you know, to take into account the change in the legislation. And it was all around the fee help piece. And there was some really bad behaviour going on there. But, we, you know, we were achieving 85% completion rate compared to the standard of 3% industry-wide, which was was just mm-hmm. amazing that we managed to do that. But because of the pace and then, you know, I, I remember waking up often at nighttime thinking, oh man, this is, this machine is going so far. I felt like the rat on the wheel or the, or the guinea pig to use a nicer creature. Um, and I felt that I couldn't step off it and that, you know what? I, I just have to make decisions that I think are right at the time. But on reflection now, I, I know they weren't the right decisions to make. And I was terrified of having to step off it because terrified because a impact on my family. Losing house and those sort of things. But more importantly, what would it do to all these student staff, thousands of students, all my suppliers? Um, you know, the complete ecosystem in your business. And I and I was just I thought, I can't get off this thing. So I just have to persevere and and hope that it survives. So what was the first inkling that something, you know,
0: could be threatening the success of the yeah. business?
1: Well, it was a sudden thing. I got a phone call from one of my largest partners, uh, RTO, in the space. They were owned by an, uh, a UK company. And the government making noises about changing how this fee help loans scheme would work, um, putting some barriers in, putting in some restrictions of how it could be utilised. And um, I, my understanding is now that that CEO of the global company rang the Australian CEO and said, get rid of all the partners. And so they had 28 Rtos but they, they were a, they were a massive machine they were like the Queen Mary we were like a little orange speed boat but we were giving you know we're generating great income for them um and and us uh, and I, I got a phone call from uh, the CEO and said I need to see you I'm in Brisbane I'm in and he just you know with no ceremony he just said we're canceling contract with you uh and the money I owe you won't be paid two million dollars and I just looked at him and, and uh, you yeah, know Thankfully, I had somebody come in with me, senior manager, because we thought something something's weird here. Something's going mm. on. It wasn't as accessible. We knew we'd been to England. I went, oh, there's there's some some news coming. Um, and, and thankfully, I didn't burst into tears in front of him because that would have been pretty embarrassing. It did when I walked out. Uh, but I just took a breath and I said, um, so you do realise what you've done? He said, what do you mean? I said, so you've just um, closed our company, this machine that we've created in collaboration with you. He said, "Oh no, no, no! We, we we'll work it out. You know, we'll come up with a something else." I said, "Well, I'm not really sure what it is. If you're canceling the contract and we can't access the funding, uh, and my payroll is two million dollars, uh, yeah, I I think you've just crushed me. Uh, you know, it would have been, and it's it's it was in the timing. So this was the middle of November. Uh, so you know, I went away, called an emergency board meeting because we're an unlisted public company. By that point, we had an emergency meeting that night." And I said, so we've got some choices. We can find a way to keep ourselves going because what I had put in place was that in February the next year, we were then going to India and we already had contracts and we're going to deliver our content through the learning management system we had. It was, you know, it was going to be about, you know, $35,000 as against $100 to India, mm-hmm. but it was sheer volume and mm-hmm. they did assessment. So that contract was in place, ready to go, but could not be brought forward. Mm-hmm no way could it be brought forward. And I said, so if we could find a way to hold ourselves, but I said, what I am not prepared to do is to say, let's try and hold ourselves, but get close to Christmas or between Christmas and New Year and go, oh, guess what team? We're actually going to have to close now. I said, that is the last thing that I can do to my team. So we decided that within a week of that decision from that um, supplier, that we would liquidate the company. We would we would drive that liquidation ourselves And what I then made the decision, what realised was there'd been some really crappy behaviour by some of the senior people, accountants changing account details on our invoices to go to their bank account, just some amazingly poor behaviour, fraudulent behaviour that uh, to this day has not been addressed, so we didn't have time. And so it was at that point I said to my husband, well, you know what, Uh, we are the only director who has property. And I said to him, so I don't want to be sold up on. So I said, my only choice is that we sell it and get the best price we can and clear company debts as best we can. So that's what we did. We sold absolutely everything. Wow. And, you know, I told told the team a week later, called them all in through a um, phone call. Didn't have Zoom in those days. Mm-hmm. But we did it by conference call to all the offices and I told them what was happening. Of course, by that point, I am pretty distraught. Uh, and I don't know why I said it, but I said to them, you know, it'd be really great if you could, some of you could give me some help. Uh, I need to actually it's a bit naughty, but get the furniture out of the office because it was all brand new. I just just furnished a brand new office so I'm going to try and sell it before the um before the liquidators get their hand on it and blow me down pretty much 99 percent of them stayed for the week unpaid and cleared my office. That was when I thought, well, you just don't realize the impact you have on people. Just have no idea. So
0: what I'm hearing, up to this point, is a life
1: of resilience building. Mm. Mm. Uh, But I was pretty stubborn, right? Like I I know on reflection and counselling and and lots of meditation and lots of writing and burning paper that the universe was sending me a bunch of messages and Joanne was not paying attention and and the last one was that liquidation piece to go, all right, I'm really going to give you a great big shake and you have to pay attention to this. And I remember speaking, because I had a coach all the way through this, right? She was very generous to give me her time. And, you know, I had the, yeah, had the epiphany. I said, I had to liquidate and bawling and and blow me down. She was an investor in my business, my coach. The level of of horror that I felt for her. Uh, And I said to her, why didn't you tell me? And she said, it wasn't my place to tell you, Joanne. I was here to make sure that you got through it. I said, and I agree with her, I had to come to the realization because with all well, you can take a horse to water, you can't make them drink it. You can tell somebody they should stop smoking, but it has to be their decision. Make that point. You to what it. was it that you needed to learn for yourself? To stick to, to 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 know why I'm here, why I do what I do. It's about remaining connected to purpose. Um, remaining connected to purpose. Look after me. I have to be the priority. Whilst I started a business with the priority of my daughter, I, you know, I, I, I had all these, you know, I got a business shut down on me, so I went, "F you!" I'm going to start a new one, and I actually, the name of the new business was the other business had a two in it. I put a three in mine, being one better than you bastards, and that was the business that got the trademark issue. And I went seriously, Joanne, and then I created this new one. Yep, it did incredibly well. But the pace was such that I was just, I was like on a roller coaster hanging on for dear life. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I did, I, I did some amazing, we did some amazing things with automation. You know, I said we were the first RTO to go paperless. We had systems APIing left clockwise and anti-clockwise, did some amazing things, but I did not stay true to my purpose and why. It, be- it as I said, it just became a roller coaster that I felt that I couldn't get off. So the universe just picked up the roller coaster and tipped me off. Literally, that's what it did. Um, so I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for that. the last six years ago is what it, what it is today. And literally, it took me to June last year to close that company. So it took me five years of a lot of anxious nights talking to the ATO, or oh, nasty liquidators, all that sort of creditors, all those sort of things. But that's what needed to be done. Uh, and it was such a relief to have that done on the, as of the 30th of June last year. And I would say to you from that point on, it was then... It's off my shoulders. Um, you know, the, the lovely things that come out of it, I've got a husband that just still still here, adores me, supports me, and is happy for me to go on this continual business journey because I do feel I'm not employable, <laughs> weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, to hear lovely feedback from my daughter, just, you know, I was saying to her, like during the middle of COVID, she got stood down, she started a business. I said, I'm really proud of you, kiddo, that you see that there's an opportunity here for you. And she did very well. And she said, "Well, just look at the teacher that I've had, Mum." And I went, "Oh, still, still puts butterflies in my tummy." Uh, and she, you know, we have a lovely, wonderful relationship, and I'm really, incredibly blessed for that. And and so is my, you know, family is super supportive. My 91 year old mother still says to me every day, "You're still working so hard, Joanne." Yep, but I love it, Mum. I love mm-hmm. it. Wow, what a journey. Uh, there's so many things I could ask you
0: now about the staff and about the, you know that liquidation journey and of course being so close to Christmas I can only imagine the you know the pain and the and the fallout from that. Yeah. But it was obviously like you said it had to happen. Uh, you got kicked off for for the reason um, that you figured out. Looking back on this journey, the last twenty one, twenty two years, I guess, perhaps since. Your first husband passed. What's the silver lining in this? What are your gold nuggets?
1: You know what? Um, it is gratitude, absolute gratitude. Like literally this morning, I was doing some meditation, and it was to, and it asked me to reflect. Reflecting on what's happened in the past and wishing that it was today. And so, you know, the meditation, uh, the narrator of the meditation said said to me, "Think about something that happened in the past that you wish was today." And I went, "Own my own home, have my home back." Mm. And then it's then it said, so what what can you take from that to be grateful for today? And I went, oh, um, who cares whether I own my own home or not? I live on the Gold Coast in a beautiful place. I'm healthy. I've never been healthier. I go to the gym every day. My husband is healthy, my daughter is thriving, my mum at 91 is still thriving. And I haven't been given and blessed with the opportunity to create a new business mm-hmm. that I launched last month. What more could I could I want, right? And Mm. and you know what I know is when I'm connected to my how and my my purpose and my why, not the how, my purpose and my why, and that I'm having conversations with people that give me absolute joy, and I do that every day now. I know that will come. Mm. I just know it will, and I'm really I'm really grateful for that.
0: Wow. I reckon. I, I well, I'm sure that people listening to this have kind of their heads have spun yep. a few times. Crazy from, story.
1: There is a book in them; it's, it's being written about <laughs> it. One day we'll get it done.
0: You are inspi- inspiring, Joanne. Uh, that that is for sure. I have a last question for you. If if someone's listening to this who is going through anything that you've been through
1: that you've shared with us today, what piece of advice could you give them? I think that the first thing, as I, um, I might have not have mentioned this, but when, but when the company liquidated, I know I spent five minutes on the floor in a fetal position. And by that time, Paul had retired, and so there was no other income coming in, and it probably lasted about five minutes. So I gave myself that grace. Um, wasn't a happy place. But, you know, and again, back to the story when I was 18, if I want something to change, it has to start with me. So when you're going through these things, I want, you know, people need to, take a breath, sit back and go, what is the one thing I can do today? What and, and that can often be, it's something that I still use today. What is, you know, the list of to-dos are ridiculous. Like we've all got them, right? You know, I'm not unusual and, and by any means and, you know, the things that I've been through is not unusual. You know, it, we all have trauma and it doesn't matter the size of it or the zeros on it or any of that sort of stuff. It's the impact it has on you as a person and how you choose to react to it. Hmm. So, you know, what uh, there is always a silver lining in all in so much of this. Like the the lovely thing is one of my my chief operating officer, I now work with her again in a new business and she is a lifelong friend. The fella that I started the business in at the RTO, he is now in the he owns the Deserve Global Business School and I'm in business with him again. So know that know that it will be okay. Because I know when I, you know, Nicole has had suffered from anxiety and would internalise things. We'd get through that piece, and I'd always say, "Was it as bad as you thought?" Yeah, no. I said, "Well, it never is because you internalise it." So, you know, sit back with self, go back to really think about why do you do what you do and what what is the impact you're looking to to build. But absolutely, circle yourself with the right people. I have distanced myself deliberately from people. And they include family that don't serve me. Mm. So if those two things go back to you, dig deep, write write it down, burn that damn letter, write it down, burn it, go back to you and then put yourself, surround yourself with the right people who can take you and build you and grow you that you can grow with them. Perfect. What great, great
0: advice. Yeah, love that. Thank you so much, Joanne. Okay, story. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, don't apologise. Like you said, we've all got stories, and
1: that—that's that, what this be, is about. Be brave enough to share it. Right. I'm going to yeah. throw a quick tip, throw mm. a bonus one. I've only just started talking about this story, my story from July last year. So literally just a year, mm. and it was a really hard deal for me on that first day. There was tears. I was in front of 200 people. Be prepared to tell your story. Don't think it's not important. Don't think it's not big enough. Mm. It's what it's done and how you've come out the other side. Be prepared to tell your story. Oh, thank they want to know it. That's yep. right. They do business with people. They want to know, oh, you feel how I feel. Oh, you know, there's a connection there. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to find somebody with the exact same story, but I'm going to find people who have had trauma and challenge in their life. Yeah.
0: yeah. Touche. Thank you so much, Joanne. It has been an honour and a privilege.
1: Yeah, and thank you for being the first gal on this, um, <laughs> on this, this process. Amazing. Exactly. It, it is amazing. Thank you so much.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Kintsugi Heroes. Please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below and join us next week for our next Heroes story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own
1: unique way. Only